Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, you get real answers. My name is Matt King, I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Do you enjoy Dopplering? Is Glenn <laughs> pulsing? <laughs> Any excuse to just repeatedly knee the table that all the microphones are on. <laughs> yeah. Glenn will immediately take. <laughs> so joining us is Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Greetings. Joining us all the way from Eric, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Hey, fellas. Wait. Lee's alive. He's yeah, with I'm, us. Yeah. I'm here. Why is that surprising? Well, uh, last episode we talked about... Uh, he had seen, probably seen the movie Noah, and the earth had opened up and swallowed him down into perdition. And so I just assumed we'd be doing the show without Lee from now on. Sure. Did we talk about that last episode? I I, I guess, but I mean, that was kind of a, a joke. I mean... I'm just asking because I don't listen back to the show. I find it unlistenable. Yeah, it's offensive. Well, I think... Um, <laughs> I think I kind of had my heart set on, you know, it would just be a start with three man thing, you know, nice tight little arrangement. Whoa, hold on. Uh, Last time you wow. did the show yeah, under protest and you had kind of had my back. Well, he's well, had a week to warm up to it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, at first I was like, well, boy, we're going to miss Lee. But then it was like, you know, uh, you know, you maybe talk a little longer on every question. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you know, it could be a nice little cozy thing. It's like, whoa, wait a second, what's Lee intruding into our three man podcast? Well, I, I thought, like the fact that you assumed Lee was dead, and right. yet hearing his voice, your first thought is there's less credit to go around in the podcast for me. Well, <laughs> not he's not dead. So what you're saying is we should really be focused on. The fact that Lee could be an ethereal voice from the grave, and I'm with you. I don't. I'm not sure that's what I was thinking. Walk me through your thought process on that. Well, you know, because um, sometimes I say words and then you say them back to me, and they've gone on a whole journey in well, your see, brain in the meantime. I think what it is is a lot of people know this about this podcast. The thing that makes it special is it's beamed into the future. Right. You're watching right. this. You're listening to this. If you're watching this, it's really getting beamed somewhere <laughs> yeah, weird. You, you don't want to be. You don't want to watch any part at your of iPod. <laughs> Here's the thing: is like we're recording this, you know, way before people hear it. When people hear it, three days. It's you know, it's a it could be a whole nother era. You see what I'm saying? Sure. But they they say I want to have it, and boom, from the from the past, it's beamed into the future okay now here's what i'm saying is how do we know that lee's on the same timeline as us whoa oh, man that's deep so he could be speaking from the grave now from an entirely different plane of existence in a non-corporeal you follow me sure i'm yeah. tracking uh and he's uh broadcasting through the skype to us his thoughts and reactions on these questions. And it's like, you know what? I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. We just had the basic Skype plan. I think you'd have to pay extra for time shifting capability. Well, it seems like the kind of thing, I mean, it's unlikely as what you've described is we could probably just ask Lee if he's a ghostly apparition. That's a good, that's a good, you know, I'm with you. Okay. Do we, do we maybe want to do that? Well, okay. Let me ask you this. Do, do you trust a ghostly apparition to tell you the truth? 
I mean, mm. that's what you got to ask yourself. Mm. You you're looking for you know you you want to know the honest truth. Sure, see what I'm saying. Sure, your basic and I I don't know, but I'm just putting it out there. I think your basic ghostly apparition type of deal is a lot of ooh right. that kind of you know, a lot mm-hmm. of hey boo that kind of thing right. moving right. around furniture. Sure. But generally kind of uh, a lot of, you know, juking and jiving and a lot of misdirection. See right. what I'm saying? Sure, sure. So I don't Ghostly know. apparitions are like Barry Sanders in that way. <laughs> this is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> Lee, would you describe yourself as being wraith-like? Well, here's the thing. What we, we, We've got two theories on the table. One is that I am a non-corporeal ghostly apparition of myself, mm. and an echo, as it were. Right. Sure. Um, the other is that I am a time traveler caught in a different timeline, transmitting via Skype to you right. guys where you are in what you what is it like 2014 there or something like that spring. That's right. That's yeah. right. Spring, yeah. 2014. So here's here's I, I, I'm not going to directly answer the question, but I will tell you this, um, Glenn, I don't know if you remembered who poured the drink into the cup that you're drinking from, <laughs> but what I would suggest to you is that you cease and desist uh, enjoying that wow. beverage forthwith. Wow. wow. Yeah. See, that's that right there. You know, that, that sounds makes fairly you... ghostly apparitionish. Let me offer a, a third theory here, and I know you have to stay with me on this. All right. Well, now, keep, here's what I'm saying. Keep it scientific. Sure. Okay, that's what we like to focus on. <laughs> What if Lee just had to be at a concert he was throwing last week, and he's just Skyping per normal this week? Um, I don't like that theory, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> because um, it, it, it reduces the overall emotionality and drama. And I don't like that in a theory. Do you work for CNN by any chance? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I, I like that theory of the plane just crashed in the ocean. Black hole. Yeah. Yeah. Well, probably it could be a black hole. What do you know? (laughs) Maybe there was a black hole at the Noah movie. There's there's another theory that we haven't espoused yet, which is that I would would, uh, fight back across all lengths of time, space, material reality just so that you could wear headphones on the podcast to make you feel more comfortable with what you're doing. Oh, I am more comfortable wearing headphones. That's true. That's a really weird version of that Sandra Bullock movie where there's like the time traveling lake house. Right. <laughs> Lee just, I, these feelings were so strong that he just fought back. Yeah. Against all odds, so Glenn could wear headphones. Ghost Lee is a giver. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coming this spring, the headphones, <laughs> starring Keanu Reeves, horses. <laughs> Well, since we haven't done it yet, I declare an emergency based on that. Woo! Oh, woo. Is it the emergency that we forgot to declare an emergency before we jumped into Lee being dead bit? No. Why would you even say that? I don't Why care for your tone. Why would you say that? I don't like your tone. Uh, on the subject of movies that are terrible and should never be made, right. one such movie has been made. Okay. We got an anonymous hot tip on our Tumblr that someone wrote in these exact words. Have you guys seen... The God is Not Dead trailer. It sounds like something you would enjoy making fun of. And that's why we have the best listeners ever, because you are correct. Yeah. Let me break this down for you if you haven't seen it. Um, somebody made a movie, like okay. a real one, hired actors and cameras and spent money and sure. film and stuff. 
There's a, there was a TV show in the mid-90s called Hercules, The Legendary Adventures. So they got her, old Hercules, a guy named Kevin Sorbo. Now in this movie, is he smashing things? No. There's Only a, your faith. Wow. Uh, nice turn. Yeah. That uh, that just took a big step down for me. Sure. But, yeah. So Hercules his, plays a, uh, a famously atheist f- philosophy professor at... A college. Whoa. Known bastion of evil godlessness. A secular college. Indeed. Whoa. And he, as all professors who are paid by state-run colleges would do, has his Philosophy 101 students sign a pledge saying God is dead. You know, they actually did that in engineering school, too. It was a little bit weird. It was a little weird. If you don't know, God is Dead is a one line from a uh, 19th century German philosopher who almost certainly does not get covered in Philosophy 101. But this guy, there's a kid in in the, the class, and he's all Christian, and he won't do it. So again, instead of transferring classes or deciding philosophy is not for him... Or just dropping it and taking it again next semester with someone different. He and this professor have a series of debates. Oh, I like wow. that. About whether that's, or not God is dead. That sounds so realistic. Sure. So many guys with philosophy PhDs saying, you know how I want to spend my free time debating 18 year olds. Right. <laughs> and then in the trailer, the Duck Dynasty people are in it for reasons that are unclear to me. So in the end, what happens is the kids like, you're right, there is no God, and then they all believe in science at the end. No. Wow. I mean, probably not. I, I don't even think I made it to the end of the trailer, much less watching the whole movie. I imagine that the way it ends is the kid says, I mean, just signing this thing doesn't mean anything. Right. So I'll just sign whatever you want because it's important to keep my GPA high because that's how I graduate. You know what I like in a movie is when I just see it coming from a sure, million miles sure. away. I love that. The sure. lowest possible stakes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, let me just throw out another possibility, okay? Just before Lee goes to see Noah, he says, you know what? I'm going to download my brain <laughs> into the computer. Right. So what we're dealing with is Cyber Lee. Right. Okay. Right. That no longer exists. So you're saying if we were to make a movie of this situation, it would be named Lee is Not Dead? That's correct. Okay. Could we get the Duck Dynasty people and Hercules in it maybe? I I hope so. Here's the thing. If you're going to make that movie, I absolutely demand that there be a chimpanzee speaking English carrying an AK-47 riding a horse on the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> well, I, Why I, would you even make a movie if you're not going to include that? Yeah, I mean, that's just boilerplate standard stuff there. Lee, have you ever debated Hercules? <laughs> Look, I no one can prove that I haven't debated Hercules. And that's, let me just say... I think we do a lot of criticizing on this show. Right. And I think what we need to be doing is constructive criticism. Right. How to make it better. Right. If you just take this exact same movie, but instead of God is not dead, right. call it Debating Hercules. <laughs> yeah. That's I think a, you, I, I'm more likely to see that movie. Yeah, Absolutely. You moved it up for me. It's a picture of a f- sadly 45-year-old Kevin Sorbo <laughs> shirtless, but with like the hammer just standing behind a podium. <laughs> right. Debating Hercules. <laughs> okay. Here's a I here's what I'm gonna because uh, I'm gonna I like sure. what you're saying. We get, let's keep it positive, okay? Let's find out there in the world 
a wrestler, you know, that's right. a, an atheist. Right. A wrestler that's a Christian. Yeah. An, another wrestler that's a Muslim. Okay. And whatever you got. Sure. Zor- Zoroastrian, whatever. Sure. Throw them in the ring, in the octagon. You understand sure, what I'm saying? Sure. Eight men enter, one faith leaves. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. A battle royale to see whose faith is. So you're, uh, you're pitching me a, a world in which theological arguments are decided by grappling competitions. Yeah. I think you've invaded a certain Northwestern megachurch pastor's <laughs> id. <laughs> I think what you do is you have them yell out lines from their faith as right. they pummel each other. Right. You know right. what I mean? The, the, you know, there is only one uh, Allah and Muhammad is his prophet and whatever. Elbow drop. Elbow Boom. drop. Sure. You know sure. You that know? seems good. That uh, seems good. You know, just, just that kind of stuff. You sure. Know? Uh, so I, I'm just. That's how I would improve that movie. You're just, you're just a champion for the ecumenical movement. That's you what. You want more understanding. Yeah, man. I think let's get it. Let's get this stuff out there. It's the marketplace of ideas, Jed. Yes, it's the octagon, but it's the octagon of tolerance. Ah, where they all learn to unite. Exactly right. And be a brotherhood. Exactly right. In the octagon. Yes. It's the octagon of brotherhood. <laughs> We we brother. we body slam our indifferences, yeah, and we we put our prejudices in an arm lock until they submit. It's good. Yeah, um, that movie would would really suck. So uh, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna turn that idea down. Okay, but Glenn, uh, why do you hate peace? Uh, <laughs> why do you hate love, Glenn? Let me tell you what. When when I'm seeing a movie, and I yeah. I've said this before, I I'm gonna stand by this. The quality of that movie can be measured uh, empirically and numerically by the number of explosions taking place in that movie. Well, obviously. The more explosions you got, the better movie. But are you encountering explosions of the heart? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Maybe. I just want to put it out there, Glenn, because, you know, um, I, I want to promote healing. Maybe what Hercules really needs is a hug. Wow. Maybe all that smashing with an axe and a hammer. Maybe there's just there's one thing he could never smash, his pain. Mm. Yeah, Here's the maybe. thing, though, and I want to suggest, I just want to throw this out there. You see what you think about it, Glenn. What if we do do the, the Octagon movie, but representing the Christians, we send Matt King in there because he's a black belt, you know? Oh, you raise a good point. That's a good idea. And uh, basically, just on sheer beard power alone. Right. It'd be hard to beat, man. You can't really defeat the beard. Well, in most Highland games, beard strength is an actual competition. Yeah. (laughs) You know. You just just intertwine them together and do like a tractor pull kind of thing. You do like a beard pull. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, I, yeah, I think. uh, Tug of uh, beard. Of beer. Matt, will you be Christianity's champion to go out and face the classic paganism of ancient Greece by fighting Kevin Sorbo in single combat? Just smash him in the sure. face. I think I think we got to do Jesus. it for Jesus. Matt volunteers as tribute. <laughs> now that again, better movie. The guy with the sign thing says, yeah, "God is dead," and the kid just punches him in the mouth. Yes. Now that's a movie, and they—that's the rising action. Now you got Fallout. You got to explain right. what that's do we right. do. Boxing right. match. See, I watched that. You movie. created some tension, and what are we going to do now? Sure. We, we have a, you know, a protagonist going on a journey with that. See what I'm saying? 
Well, I'm I'm happy. Jed, can you give us a can you give us a a, a, a trailer voice synopsis of that? Of course I can, Lee. <laughs> this summer, <laughs> one man's journey to fight godless secularism in the octagon. Matt King is every college freshman. <laughs> I, hey, let me tell you what. I've got my money right now for Faith Puncher. <laughs> I am ready to go. I, I, I'm saved up already for Faith Puncher, too. Okay. <laughs> the punching. <laughs> the punching. <laughs> On that de- basis, I declare, and I'm w- with a caveat that I'm still disturbed about the cyber lead. Sure, that's of course. Non corporeal. Uh, but with that uh, caveat, I declare emergency off. Sure. Sure. I'm going to be, this is this is space in which we could be honest. Yeah. I've just been sitting here for the last few minutes trying to think of religious puns on wrestler names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Halal Hogan. Right. right. The Mana Man Randy Savage. Oh, that's good. Right. Brett right. the Holy Man Heart. Okay. There you go. I'm kind of out after that. Yeah. yeah. But feel free to play along at home, you listening. Well, the Ultimate Holy Warrior. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ultimate yeah. Culture Warrior. Yeah, well, that's even better. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You the know, Rock feel- of Our Salvation. Sure. sure yeah, that's, that's good. good. Or The Rock on the Hill. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Just again, feel free to play along at home. It's a little game for you to take home with you. Faith right. Puncher. Dude, Faith Puncher is killer. That's I great. I will punch your faith. Yeah, here, you're about to get segued. If you want us to have the, mo- the money to make Faith Puncher... <laughs> You know how you do that? By supporting Bridgebox. Uh. $8 a month. You get you equip us to do ministry here in Chicago. We help guys get jobs. We have our service every Tuesday. We counsel people who are struggling to find uh, homes, find food, get out of gangs, get out of addiction. We're able to do all that in a more effective way because of the money you give us on Bridgebox. A- only $8 a month. And in return, you get a lot of cool stuff, music, sermons, videos, Bible studies and devotionals every month based around a topic. This month's topic is something, Jed. What does it mean to forgive people? Thank you very much. All right, so that's this month's topic. Or you can sign up for the special Lee Younger brand of Bridgebox, which you get new music from Lee every month, some stuff he has culled from previous Bridgeboxes. And if you sign up now, you'll get the brand new Lee Younger t-shirt. No other way to get it, people. Absolutely no other way to get it. So you can sign up for the regular Bridgebox at missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. You can sign up for Lee's version at missionusa.com slash BBLY. Or you can email me, Matt, at missionusa.com for the link to get both of those, which is $16 worth of stuff for $12 a month. All right, we're going to jump into our questions here. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, we'll give you some addresses where you can get in touch with us. First question came in anonymously to our Tumblr. It says, I'm reading Luke 12, 32 to 34 and 14, 33, and I'm unsure about how I should live my life. I'm a single 20-something guy wondering if I should just do exactly as Jesus says, put 100% of my money into gospel work, since he commanded us not to worry and seek the kingdom first. I don't want to get a 401k or mortgage since those things are temporary. I want to do something eternal and invest in what really matters. People are dying around the world, and I'm sitting here in my 9-to-5 job doing nothing useful. 
Jag, can you kick us off? Yeah, man. Well, look, uh, I appreciate your heart. Um, you know, I appreciate that you're seeing people going through a rough time. You want to do something about that. You want to be, um, you know, part of the solution uh, as opposed to a part of the problem. And I got mad respect for that, man. You know, the truth is that, totally. you know, uh, most people are very content to let awful stuff go on around them and and just ignore it uh, and just kind of exist in in their the bubble of their own existence. And I applaud you for not wanting to go that route. Let me describe a little bit different scenario to you for a second, but, but stay with me. Let's say that, you know, you, you woke up one day and you were really out of shape. Um, just, you know, you'd put on some pounds, you, you know, you couldn't go up and down the stairs without getting winded, um, and you'd be like, I need to do something about this. You know, I got I to gotta solve this problem. Well, that, that would be the right response. You know, we got to do something. But what wouldn't be the right response would be to say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the gym right now, and I'm going to try and lift 1,000 pounds, <laughs> and then... I'm going to eat nothing for a week, right. and I'm going to be buff and swole. Right. That, that would not work. Uh, right. you, would, you would badly, badly, badly hurt yourself, and you'd be insanely hungry, and about 12 hours later, um, you would have given up on the whole thing. Now, when it comes to fitness, most of us know that's not what you do. That it, there's no way that can work. What you do is you say, I need to look at making some, some changes that are sensible, that are sustainable, that you know I can keep up with, that will point over a long period of time in a good direction if I, if I stick with them. That's how you make change in that area of life. Well, I tell you that to tell you that I think when it comes to discovering our calling, when it, it comes to figuring out what do we do with money as it relates to calling and meaning and purpose, there's kind of a similar thing. Um, saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to sell everything I own right now, and I'm going to give away all the money to the best charity I can find you're not going to do that. That's that's thing one. But thing two is that approach is going to keep you from really cool stuff that you could do that would make a real difference in other people's lives. Um, where you are, I don't know where you live because this question came in anonymously, but where you live right now, there's all kinds of injustice going on in your community. Um, there are kids going to bed hungry. Um, there are uh, people who don't have anyone to be there and listen to them or going through a rough time. There are folks who desperately need someone to, to love on them, both in, in material and in emotional ways. And you can actually start doing uh, those things today. You can start addressing those needs right now. You don't have to quit your job in order to do that. Um, you don't have to not have a mortgage or a retirement plan in order to do that. You can just start loving people right now today. Now, I think where that leads is not so much saying I need to figure out what the most extreme thing I can do is and go do it but it does mean and this is is the simultaneously both kind of cool and kind of crazy part is going to the Lord and saying Jesus what do you specifically have for me to do um, there's a wide world of need and more than I could ever address personally. There's more, even in my town, there's more wrong stuff, there's more injustice than I personally could ever do anything about. Where do you want my focus to be? Where do you, what's, what are you calling me to do? And understand that hearing the Lord on that is um, a process. That's not like a one-time thing. And lo, God said unto him, go to the homeless shelter. It doesn't, it doesn't quite work that way. But you ask the Lord to put a burden on your heart, and you respond to that burden, and you move forward a little bit at a time. As you do that, what you will find is that certain sacrifices, will pre they'll present themselves as being an essential part of the mission, and you'll be happy to make them, and they won't quite feel like the crazy sacrifices that you're describing in your question. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. Um, 
I have friends that are missionaries in other parts of the world, and um, one of my friends enjoys uh, a nice beer now and then. But the part of the world that he's a missionary in, they uh, just in in their eyes, a Christian cannot drink. It's just if if you if you drink, you cannot be a man of God. You cannot be a godly person. You you don't have anything to tell us on that subject. So um, when he's not on furlough. He never, ever drinks. Um, now, he enjoys a nice beer, and he'd, he'd rather have one, but he's setting that down as a sacrifice because it's a part of the mission. It's a part of accomplishing the thing that God's calling him to do. It's not a, a thing where he's decided, this would be hard, so that probably makes it right. It's about, I love these people. God's put a burden of love on my heart to see them come to know him. I need to get rid of the things that stand in the way. So... Um, you know, uh, um, uh, um, I in this case, that's this thing I like, and I'm going to sacrifice that. And as you journey towards loving the people that God puts a calling on your heart to love, you'll discover that there are sacrifices for you to make. Maybe that has to do with your mortgage. Maybe it doesn't. There's every possibility that you having your own place would enable you to do a lot of ministry that you couldn't otherwise do. Um, but maybe it won't. Maybe it's something where it's a situation you just need to be in a simple apartment because that sets a good example. But the key thing is start simple. Start loving people in simple, direct ways where you are and ask the Lord to give you a burden of love for specific people and just follow that love where it leads. Absolutely. Glenn? Uh, yeah, I, I think all that's fantastic. And I, I would uh, suggest with with any Bible verse that we're reading, we're trying to discern what does this mean? How do I apply this to my life? The key thing, of course, is looking at the context of that verse. What what under what circumstances in what sort of environment and circumstances is Jesus saying these things? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus is not talking to office workers yeah. when he says this. He's not talking to all of the church throughout all human history. He's talking to his disciples, people that have been following him, that have been raised up in the faith with him, who have come to a deeper and hopefully a more transcendent understanding of that, and they're being sent out. And these are the instructions they're being sent out with. Uh, So, for example, as Judd is suggesting, not drinking beer in that particular circumstance around those particular people would be a smart way of handling uh, that interaction and, and, and being able to interact with people without tempting them to disbelieve what it is that you're saying and so forth. So uh, trying to read a verse that says we should sell what we have and give it to the poor and so on and so forth and say, well, okay, that, that means that's what we're, we're all supposed to do all the time from the beginnings uh, is a misinterpretation of that verse. Uh, but it is there is something to this about um, a preparation, uh, a process. We're going from being a baby in Christ, being on what we're on, and little by little we're being we're growing and we're learning. To get to the point where we can really serve God in some sort of way, uh, and, and perhaps in a, a more direct way, we're encouraging someone, we're uplifting someone, we're writing a blog post, we're you know leading a Bible study, we're volunteering with some youth, whatever the thing is. So uh, we're being prepared, and it's important to to understand what that preparation looks like. Um, 
the second thing I would say about that is uh, when you're talking about giving up everything, that's what the Bible is saying in these verses, that we're to give up everything and follow the Lord. Uh, what he what he is very clearly telling you is to give up uh, your whole life to God, to give up control yeah. right. of everything. Yeah. What he's not, and, and also it is Jed's talking about taking it to the extreme, and people who take it to the extreme just pick one thing. Yeah, you know, if you think this verse is only about money, you got another thing coming. You're supposed to give up hopes dreams, wishes, relationships, uh, part of town you want to live in, car you want to drive. Yep. We're giving control of all those things to God and saying, God, what is it that you want me to do? Now, maybe I want to drive a big SUV, and that's just what I want, and that's I, I covet that, and that's my whole thing or whatever else. Well, the Lord may come to me and say, actually, um, this really kind of fancy SUV that you want to buy is not on the table, but I would like you to buy this Suburban. It's got an extra row of seats and you can pile that full of big guys, take them to the church and uh, you can help haul stuff for the church. It's going to be a real tool that you'll be able to use for real doing real ministry. So I'm giving God that choice and, and God's, you know, incorporating my desires and my personality and maybe the SUV idea was his from the beginning and I was kind of twisting it around and messing it up a bit, but he's uh, uh, working with me to make those choices, to make those decisions. So I'm letting him have the control. That's what giving all these things mean. Now the Lord may come to you and say, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, uh, do that thing. Uh, that, that could conceivably happen. Uh, uh, everybody on this podcast has given up a huge percentage of our uh, the li livelihood we could have, and we live uh, not as rich people in order to help people who are not rich. So uh, you know, certainly it happens, and we have a firsthand account of that. The final thing I'll say on this, and this is really important, Bible says very clearly, God loves a cheerful giver. Mm-hmm. If you're doing this out of guilt, you are not cheerful yet, my man. This needs to be fun. This yeah. needs to be exciting for yeah. you. Um, there needs to, You need to feel like a kid in a candy shop where you're looking at all different kinds of ministries you want to support. They're doing all sorts of cool things that you are excited about in ways that maybe you can volunteer with them as well as give money yeah. or where you can use some of your job skills as well as donating money that you can you know, volunteer things or help them out in certain kind of ways. Uh, what we want you to do is to think big, to think creatively, and God has something for you that is exciting. Amen. And if you're if you if that excitement isn't in the picture yet, I don't think you can feel like you you're. I think you're ori as Jed is suggesting you're orienting things off of the what's the most painful choice and thinking that's the holy one. And if God's telling you God loves a cheerful giver, we need to look at following the joy on this, right. not the pain. Absolutely, Lee. Well, I love where these guys are going. I'm going to pick up right in the same vein, just keep going down the same road. Um, the, the big thing for me, especially about these verses in Luke, is just it has a lot to do with your attitude about things. It's not specifically, you know, you know what, what is it you, what, is, what are the acts that you're carrying out? It's how do you look at stuff? So, for instance, you know, when I look at those verses in context in Luke chapter 14 or those verses in Luke chapter 12, I mean, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is talking about, like, if you're going to give your life to this 
thing, you need to think about it beforehand. What what is this going to mean for you? Um, you need to you need to take uh, you need to stay, take stock of your life. You need to think about whether or not this is uh, going to be something that you want to be a part of. Um, it's it's a lot about counting the cost. I think when you look at uh, Luke chapter twelve, he's not just saying like, okay, what you. It, if you're going to be mine, you have to be broke because you literally gave away every dollar. Um, it, it seems to me that he's talking so much more that, like Glenn said, it's so much deeper than just your money or your stuff or whatever. This has to do with your gifts. It has to do with your talents. It has to do with your abilities. It has to do with your ideas. It has to do with your attitude over your life. And I think the way it comes down is like this. Are you the owner of your life or are you a manager of things that God owns? Okay. And that is a whole different perspective. So if I'm the owner of my life, and that means that my talents are because I'm awesome. And my abilities, I've honed them because I'm awesome at this. And whatever I give, that's because I am charitable and good. And whatever I put in or put forth or whatever, I am, I'm really being pretty gracious. I'm being, you know, you know, I'm I'm really, really giving you something. If I am a manager of something that God owns, then I realize all the gifts that I have, all the abilities that I have, the energy that I have, the money that I have, God owns all of it. And he has put me in charge of being a steward over it or a manager over it. And he is asking me to do certain things with it. So he has made me a certain way with certain gifts and certain burdens and certain ideas. And I want to employ those. If God's made me a creative person, I want to be as creative as I can for building the kingdom of God. And I want to pour that out. I want to give him that, all of that. Um, If God has given me a certain amount of money, what I want to do is I want to ask him, Lord, this is your money. What do you want me to do with it? Here's the thing. My guess is not very many people actually do that. Yep. What they think is, a lot of people think, well, uh, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm supposed to give all of my money away, and I'm not prepared to do that because I don't even know what that means, so I'm not going to give any of my money away. Yeah. I think that's what happens. Now, here's the crazy thing about the Lord, and this is the crazy thing that would happen if people would actually read that Bible that, you know, that they carry into church and they, you know, set on their desk or whatever at their nine-to-five job, which is... If you were just to ask Jesus, what do you want me to do with this money? I think you would be surprised at how much of it he would allow you to use on stuff that you think is cool. Amen. Um, There's a place in the book of Deuteronomy, I don't know if you've ever seen it, where the Lord says, okay, once a year, I want my people to go to this city, and I want you to take a tenth of all the money that you make, and I want you to throw the biggest party you possibly can, because I want you to have a great time. And I want you to have as much fun as you can possibly as much as fun as you can possibly have with all your best friends. Now, if you live too far away to go to this big, huge party and just enjoy your friends and, and yourself and, and just just have a great time, then what I want you to do is take that money that you would have spent on taking that trip and, and on that party, and I want you to spend it on whatever would make you most happy, and I want you to enjoy it. Mm. That's in the Holy Scriptures. That is a very good God saying to you, I've given you money. And at some point in the year, I'd love for you to sit down and think about, take a, a piece of that money, and I want you to spend it on yourself, whatever would make you most happy. Now, this is going to sound scandalous, but in that verse, he says, and that, in, that, that could include wine, beer, or strong drink. It just <laughs> says that. 
I'm not making it up. It just says that in the book of Deuteronomy. It says, take 10% of your money, spend it on whatever you think would make you have the greatest time ever, including wine, beer, or very strong drink. That's just the heart of God. He wants you to have a, a full life. And he, but the thing, the key is, and this is the key, he wants you to see it as his that he's making you a manager over. Yeah. And that's the whole deal right there. If you see your life, your money, your possessions, your gifts, your energy, your abilities, as these come from God, they were given to me by God, I didn't create any of it, and I don't have anything to do with it, and he's going to let me have a full, fun life, and he wants me to also build the kingdom. Now, Jesus, I'm going to wake up today, and I'm going to ask you, what do you want me to do today? What would it mean today for me to love you and serve you? And like Jed said, just find something right in front of your face and do it. You start asking that question, a couple things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to realize you don't know very many Christians who do that. Number two, what you're going to find is if you get a hold of what that means for you personally in your life, the unique whatever God has for you, you're going to love it. Not that it's not going to be difficult, not that it's not going to be confusing. It's going to be difficult at times, confusing. Sometimes it's going to be heartbreaking. Sometimes it's going to be crazy. But you're going to find that it's awesome and it is fulfilling and fun and freeing. And you're going to find, like Glenn said, you're going to love it. You're, you're going to be following the joy. Um, I, think that, I think Jesus wants us to give away more than, more than most people do. But I think that most people are scared that he wants to take everything and leave them in abject poverty, and that's the only way to follow him. And I think it really comes down to, how do you see this stuff? Does it belong to you, or does it belong to him? And what would happen if you changed your attitude about the stuff that you have? That's a fantastic point. One thing I'll throw on the end here is uh, we want to be very clear. Um, there's actually nothing inherently sinful about a 401k or a mortgage. Yep. Mm-hmm. The sinful thing is if you, as these guys are all talking about, if you never ask God if he wants you to have that stuff and just assume he does. Yeah. However, as we talk about a lot on this show, and I don't know who made this uh, saying up, so it's probably me, the opposite of a bad idea is another bad idea. <laughs> you hear Glenn laughing because Glenn made that up, but sometimes we don't tell people that. <laughs> That's right. But uh, So if you just assume God doesn't want you to have those things and don't do that, <laughs> equally sinful. Maybe God wants you to have a mortgage pay on a nice house because that's a place you can bring people and have a Bible study and, you know, have people sleep over when they're in town or whatever. Maybe once you have a 401k, you have a nice retirement where you can travel around and do some stuff or all that kind of thing. The idea that God doesn't want any Christians to have a big house is wrong because I know plenty of Christians who are following the Lord and have a big house and use that to do what God wants them to do. It's all about listening to God and not just assuming that the most hardcore thing is what needs to be done. And, that goes in both directions. And I can tell you this, uh, big shout out to, uh, to guys that, we, that everybody on this podcast knows who are MDs or dentists and stuff like that who follow the Lord and, and hook yeah. a brother up that's in full-time ministry and help us out. Amen. Or guys that know how to work on cars or whatever. If you, look, if, if, if you happen to have a job where you make a lot of money, you love Jesus, and you, and you find a... A, a missionary or a pastor, somebody that, that is having a rough time and you take care of them, that's awesome. Yes, it is. Amen. Absolutely. All right, move on to our next question here. It also came in, and I'm at our Tumblr. It says, I'm a virgin in my 20s, and I am sexually frustrated. Seems redundant. I don't regret my choice to remain one, but sometimes I get really discouraged, especially with all the sexually explicit material out there, as well as friends who tell me about how much I'm missing out. Am I missing out? 
I wonder if it's even worth it because God's grace applies to all sinners. I really need some prayers and encouragement. Glenn, can you kick us off? Yeah, I uh, I can uh, address that, and I, and we're sorry that you're going through a time of sexual frustration. Uh, you're asking, are you missing out? Of course you're missing out. You're missing out big time. Yes. That's, that's uh, 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 yes. But here's, the, here's the, the very satisfying however on that one, is everyone else you are talking to is missing out too. Come on that's, now. That's the key part of this thing. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, uh, we work with addicts and, and guys who struggle with uh, drug addiction. So let me describe this in sort of drug addiction terms. If you go out n- n- today and you uh, decide, well, I'm going to have some heroin. That would be nice. You know, probably. Uh, Thought about it, weighed the pros and cons, and yeah, you know, go for it. No one's ever gotten smarter or richer or prettier or more successful off of doing this, but uh, maybe I'm the one. So you go and you, you take that. Well, here's what you're going to find. The next time that you want to get high using that same drug, you have to use a little bit more of it. And at some point, when you don't use enough of the drug, you start feeling sicker and sicker and sicker so that you have to use a certain amount of the drug just to feel normal. Yep. Um, what you're looking at is something that does not satisfy as it is. So we have to keep doing more and more and more in order to get to that, hopefully, trying to get to that point of satisfaction. Uh, you know uh, or, or see on the TV these people who work themselves to death. Now, they've got more money than their grandchildren will ever spend, but they keep going. Why? They're not satisfied. Yeah. They're saying money would make me happy. And then they get some. And they say, this is not making me happy. Let me get some more. Let me get some more. Some more will probably work. And then they get a whole lot more. And they say, I'm still not at all happy. I must need a lot more than this. I get a lot, a lot more. And they say, I'm still right where I'm at. So to you and I, that looks crazy. You say you're trying to use money for something it's not intended for. Money doesn't give you happiness. It doesn't work that way. You're, you're trying to use it as some sort of a, a, an idol or a talisman or something that just give you a magical property of happiness off of that. Uh, but people do that with all sorts of things, whether it's clothes or uh, you know, trying to seek after popularity and fame and all these different kind of things. But it's all that idea of if I had this, I'd be satisfied. And what you've seen over and over again in your life, and you can see it on TV or the Internet or whatever, reading about famous people, you can see none of these people are satisfied. So they keep trying, doing more and more to try and get to that place of satisfaction. And people use sex in precisely that same way. Sex is fantastic. God made it to be amazing if if that sex is taking place between two uh, committed adults they have been you know united in that bond of marriage and they love one another and they care for one another and they're using sex as a way to nurture and encourage and uplift and serve one another then it's absolutely unbelievably cool if it's two strangers who don't know each other fumbling around in the dark trying to work out which whatever both drunk both drunk that is not going to be awesome yeah you brag about it as if it was awesome because you're trying to make the other person believe that it's awesome so maybe you'll think it's awesome (laughs) but it's not awesome 
And here's how you can tell that it's not awesome because you're trying to pimp it off like it is. Mm-hmm. The harder you work to, to get me to think it's awesome, the more I'm sure it's not. So you get that, that, that sense in the culture of everybody's like, sex is sexy, sex, try sex. Sex is amazing. I have sex. You don't. That makes me cool. Sex is, you know, and you, at some point, I think you have to be hip to the game of what's going on here. These are people who don't know how to do it. They don't know what it's for. They don't, they don't know how to, you know, whatever. And so they're over sexualizing themselves and over sexualizing everything to try and get to a point where that sex is satisfying to them. They are missing out as much as you are. They are having the physical act of sex, but they have not discovered what sex is for and what it can mean any more than you have. And you're on the path to that. So in many ways you're, you're on the right track. The last thing I'll tack on to the end of this and let these other guys tee off is that what you're talking about is waiting for sex and that there's an agony to that. And there's, there's some despair that go with that. And it's not an easy thing, but here's what we all know is when you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, that's a lot easier. When you're dating a nice gal and you're having a nice relationship and you're burning with desire for her, but you know there's a very good chance that we might be married this time next year, hey, you, you, can, you can wait a year. That's, you know, that's something you can live with. And plus, in the meantime, you're kissing and, you know, having uh, physical encounters of some sort. So that makes it a lot easier to wait. When you're single, not dating anyone, not in a position to find a date, any of that, then you're looking at a big giant question mark and that makes all this a lot tougher. So, uh, the, you know, when we're dealing with the sexual frustration, we have to look at, are we getting ourselves in a position where we can see light at the end of the tunnel? Absolutely. Lee. So (laughs) I completely agree with Glenn on this thing. And the, the funny thing is in, for me in my job, I've been working with high school kids for a long, long time. And, um, when you see high school kids bragging about the sex that they've had, here's what it's like. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's, it's like some kid, uh, comes back from like spring break and they, you know, they, they went, they tell all their friends they went to Disney world. Right. And they're like, y'all Disney world is awesome. Let me just tell you Disney. Tell me, tell me more. Y'all never been to Disney world. My man, Disney world. is amazing. Whoa. It's it's like all like all the movies you ever seen about Disney World. It's like that, <laughs> and uh, and here's the thing: what you find out is like when I was in high school and I would hear these people talking, I was like, "Dang, I'm never gonna get to go to Disney World," you know. But then when I started becoming a minister and working with high school kids, I realized that yeah, technically they went to Disney World, but what they did was. They bought a ticket, they went right inside the gate, they bought a pretzel at the front door, and then they, and then they left. They went back yep. out in the parking lot. Yep. Tell that. They don't yeah. know anything about that park. Say they didn't it. go on any of the roller coasters and bring any souvenirs back. They don't have anything. Right. They didn't actually, I mean, technically, yes, they walked through the door of that park, but they, uh, you know... They, they bought an overpriced pretzel and then they left. And <laughs> right. that's the only thing that happened. And, and it's very important to understand that when, when, you know, when Glenn says, you know, when you ask, am I missing out? It's like, well, of course you're missing out. And I completely agree with what he's saying there. In another sense, um, 
you're not missing out on what you think you're missing out on yet. Yes. Right. Um, everybody in the world, and, and this is from movies and everything else, the, the, the idea is that sex is simple matter of being awesome and cool and sexy, and then if you've got those three factors, then sex is amazing, and so hook it up. The truth is, as, as Glenn is saying, and as we've said on this show before, that sex requires intimacy and friendship and a, a, a heart to serve the person that you love. It requires communication. It requires a relationship. It requires something that's built over a long period of time. I mean, it's something that gets better the longer you are together. It's the opposite of what you think. Like when you're in high school and college, you think, well, the best sex I'm ever going to have is right here in my college years when I'm in my, you know, in my in my late teens and my 20s and stuff like that because that's the sexiest. And it's like, uh, the truth is, it gets better and better the older you get. The longer you've been married to your spouse, the more Say you it. know each other, the yes. better and better and better it gets. It's awesome. It's this amazing thing that God has made. And he makes it so that when you have that commitment in place and when you have that dedication, you have that fidelity and you have that friendship, it gets better and more awesome all the time. So in one Amen. sense, sure, you're missing out on stuff, but the stuff that people are telling you you're missing out on, friend, they are lying to you. Yeah. And here's why they're lying to you. They're lying to you because they were lied to, they bought into it, and yep. holy crap, it was terrible. Yep. And now... Yeah, yeah they don't know there's more to it. No. Yeah. That yeah. What, what they think is, I was sold a bill of goods... There's nothing to this. Holy crap. Um, yeah, yeah. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the, the one, you know, one, the one moment of this that was pretty physically pleasurable, and I'm just going to, in my mind, I'm going to make that the greatest thing that's ever happened in my entire life. When anybody that's in a, in a committed and sweet marriage would, you know, will tell you that the orgasm piece of sex, it, sure, it's great, whatever, there's so much more to it. There's yeah. the feeling of acceptance. There's the feeling of friendship. There's the, there's the secret you have that nobody else knows. There's, there's just this whole, there's this whole depth to it. It's amazing. And you, and you can have that. And God wants that for you. Understand us saying you can have that all the way. But it takes friendship. It takes work. It takes figuring out what intimacy is like over the long haul. And when I say intimacy, I don't just mean sex. I mean, breaking down the walls in a, in a relationship where people feel like they have to protect each other from themselves because you said the thing and it hurt my feelings and we got to break all this down. We got to figure out what it means to serve each other and to, to know each other and all that stuff. You can have that and God wants that for you. And what we want to see you do is to say, and, and by the way, it's an is to say to the Lord, just, you know, be on, as honest with him as you are with us saying, look, what you're asking me to do right now, Lord, you asking me to wait, it's difficult and it sucks and I don't like it. And, but I want what you want for me. And I want to figure out what steps can I take today to move toward? I, I want to start going ahead and being ready for the relationship that I can be in so that one day I can have the intimacy and the closeness and the sex that you want me to have. Absolutely. Jed? 
Uh, just uh, two quick things, uh, and Daron, I'm sorry that you're struggling with this. I know it's difficult. Uh, we're, we love you, we believe in you, we're praying for you, and, and don't let this be the last time we hear from you either. Um, I have a good buddy. We've been friends um, since we were in college, and uh, we get together every few months, hang out, you know, have a hamburger and whatnot, and we've been buddies a long time, so you know, we're pretty open with each other about our lives, and we could not have more different lives. Uh, I'm, I'm a Christian dude. I work in ministry. I'm a married man. I love my wife. Uh, and this brother, and I'm not telling you anything he wouldn't tell you, he's a heathen with a capital H. Um, I mean, he's, he's, he's working at being the hedonist like it's his job. He's going after it. Um, he, he will have sex with anything that moves, um, you know, as long as it's cool with it. You know, uh, he's, he's going all about it. Every time we get together, I tell you two consistent things. First is, he's miserable. Right. Every time. Just, you know, how you doing, man? I was going, man, you know, I'm just, you know, just doing what I can do, man. <laughs> and the second is, he's like, so, man, you know, how's, uh, how's married life? He asked me with a cocked eyebrow. It's great, dude. Actually going really well. Yeah, how's the, uh, how's the sex side of things? It's awesome, man. And there's this pause, and he gets this look in his eye like, God, I hate you. <laughs> yeah, but yeah you're, you're sleeping next to your fantasy come true every night. Yeah. How does that compete with what you've got? You know, yeah. I just want to, I mentioned that just to reiterate, Daron, that the stuff your friends are telling you, it's just not true. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just a lie. And to build on that, um, the you mentioned you know there's a lot of sexually explicit material out there. Here is Christians are crazy about the whole porn thing. I have such weird perspectives. Here is the w- number one major risk of sexually explicit material is it will give you a false sense of what sex is like and how it works. Amen. That's that's the number one risk. Sex and dating do not work the way that porn portrays it. And they're not trying. It's not meant to be a documentary. Right. Um, you know, uh, when you watch, uh, you know, uh, a commando movie, that's not meant to be an accurate representation of military life. That's that's they're selling a fantasy. That's the whole point. Sexual explicit material pornography is the exact same thing. They're selling a fantasy. But if you don't know it's a fantasy, that's a real problem. Here's how we begin to combat that. You should not take our word for anything that we've said here today. You should go find out for yourself. Here's how you find out for yourself. Start dating someone. Go out. Start dating. And here's what you'll notice. Dating doesn't look anything like it does on all the teenage melodramas they have on MTV. Right. It just it doesn't work that way. It's it, it's not two people who always have perfect hair and perfect stubble and you know really witty retorts. It's two people who are tired and have bad moods and frustrations and are trying to figure out do we like each other and do we want to hang out together. Extrapolate data from there. Um, what's been presented to you by your friends, what's been presented to you by popular media, is a fantasy. That's that's not how life works. But again, you can go begin to realize that for yourself if you start dating people. A lot of these bad ideas, and I'm not saying you need to have sex with them. I'm just saying if you begin the dating process, getting to know people in a relational context, a lot of these ideas will begin to explode in your brain because you're going to realize they couldn't possibly be true um, based on the way real human beings interact. Uh, And like Glenn's saying, if you start to go in a direction that will lead towards marriage, it's going to help with that frustration department. Uh, We love you. We believe in you. Keep your head up. Absolutely. All right. We're going to move to our last question here. also came with our Tumblr. It says... We recently got a new youth pastor at my church, and I disagree with many things that she says. I don't feel that her sermons have a biblical foundation, and sometimes I think they contradict what Jesus preached. Of course, I know her intentions are good, but I worry for the younger kids in the youth group. What can or should, how can or should I approach this situation? Lee, can you kick us off? 
Absolutely. And uh, I'm sorry you're going through a rough time on this. And that's a, that's a, it's a really difficult thing. Um, and it's hard for us to, uh, to, to give a completely clear perspective on a situation like this without really knowing, you know, what are the specific doctrines you're having trouble with? What are the lessons that you've heard that sound funky and stuff like that? But there's a couple of things that I think are really important um, that you should know, which is um, any youth pastor or pastor for that, you know, uh, you, you know, at all, worth their salt. In, any person in ministry that is going to try to be over somebody at all in a teaching position or whatever, um, who is good and the, who is a person you should listen to, will have absolutely no problem talking to you about issues that you have with their teaching. Um, you, they would be completely open to you coming to them with honest inquiries uh, to talk about specific things that they have said. No, if you find a person who is not interested in talking to you about, the, uh, you know, about your questions about the things that they've said, it's definitely time to move on. Um, all that to say, I think that the place that you need to start is to, uh, to pray about going to this person specifically and talking to them. Talk uh, to this youth pastor uh, one-on-one in a private conversation. Don't call him out in front of the room. Don't talk to other people in the youth group about, you know, how funky you think the stuff is or whatever. And and this is a very, very key part to, uh, to, to having that confrontation. I want you to take this seriously, which is you need to write down what you're going to talk about. Um, you don't want to go into that conversation emotional. Uh, in an emotional way, you don't want to go into that conversation just, you know, firing off shots. You want to go into that conversation with, and actually this is a good tip for any kind of confrontation is you want to know what, what your actual problems are. You want to be able to reference them for a number of reasons. One, you want to have specific stuff so you're not emotional, but two, you want to be able to keep the conversation on topic. You want to be able to keep it going where it should go. So what I'm saying is pray about it. Talk to, find out what are your specific issues. Ask yourself and ask the Lord, do I have a point here? And write those things down and ask that person if you can talk one-on-one. And any youth pastor worth their salt would be more than happy to meet with you one-on-one. Um, I, I think there are a lot of issues in, in, this, in this kind of situation. Um, but I think the, the, the big places that you could go wrong, the big things you want to avoid is you don't want to be gossiping about this pers- this leader with any of the other people in the youth group. And I think it's cool that you have a concern for these younger kids and stuff like that. But you don't want to be you don't want to be talking about this person behind their back with anybody else. You don't want to go over their head to, you know, their boss or anything like that and call them out when you haven't dealt with them one on one. Give them a chance to speak for themselves, to answer themselves. I can tell you that as a youth pastor myself, that's the way I would want that situation handled. If somebody in my group had a problem with the things I was saying, I'd love for them to start with me. I'd love a chance for us to sit down and have a conversation about to look specifically at what their problems are and to be able to answer those. Now, obviously, if you're not satisfied, you need to go to the next person or whatever, definitely. But you want to avoid the, the, the pitfalls of, you know, just going in there emotionally and, and just being, you know, the, 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 young, the fired up young theologue. Nobody needs that. So go with the cool head, go with a list, and, uh, and, and also go with the, with the humility to know that you, you might not be on the right page on this thing, and that's okay. It's a great point. If you learn nothing else from your entire time listening to this show, take the sentence, 
fired up young theologue. No one needs that. Yeah. And get it tattooed on your arm. Jed? <laughs> I certainly agree with that. I uh, agree with everything Lee said. Uh, add one quick thing, and that is there's something kind of sticks out to me for your question that's missing, and that is um, that you don't have somebody that's a mentor in your life that you're bouncing this stuff off of. Um, uh, particularly, particularly, particularly for a young person, um, you're not meant to be figuring all this stuff out for yourself. Um, you're, uh, you know, to, to piggyback on what Lee said, you are not meant to be a guardian of the doctrine of the faith. That's, yeah. that's not your job. Um, it, you need somebody in your life that's an older Christian that's a pastor to you, that's a mentor to you, that's a, that's a, a guide to you. And when you hear hinky things, you can bounce them off of that person. You know, you can say, hey, this sounds weird to me. Is this, is this actually weird? Understand, in my life, it's a fairly regular thing that something happens, and I think, you know, I may need to confront this person. But I go to Glenn, who's my pastor, and I say, um, am I making something out of nothing here? Um, you know, I mean, this seems like something where I need to, you know, step in and say, uh, uh, what's the business, but do you agree? I mean, is this, you know, am I, am I just imagining things? And sometimes, you know, uh, you know, uh, Glenn says to me, no, you, that's really not good. You definitely, it's time to step in and for sure. And other times, you know, Glenn might say, no, dude, I think you didn't get enough sleep last night. Uh, uh, I want you take a nap, right. have a cookie. Yeah. And, yeah uh, I was going to say, know, eat something. Eat something. Let's let's see what we see. I think the problem comes, my friend, and and understand. Um, we don't know your situation. Uh, you may be a hundred percent in the right. Uh, this this person may be talking some craziness, and and somebody really needs to say something. But I think you know one of the things that happens is when we're when we find ourselves in a situation where we don't have anyone discipling us, we don't have a pastor in our lives that knows our name as investing in our lives. We have a way of trying to. Um, and it's understandable. We want to safeguard um, our doctrine and our brain and our heart, and so we can become almost overprotective of of every little thing that we hear, and and overcritical of every little thing that we hear. And the the right answer to that is not to say that doctrine doesn't matter because it really does, but it's to say that if you have a person, if you can find a person that can be a pastor, that can be a mentor to you, where you can go and say, "Am I am I crazy? Am I imagining stuff here?" That's going to let you relax. And um, when you have more peace in your life, not only will you be healthier, you'll actually have better discernment. Um, you'll grow to a point where you'll uh, have a better sense of when things are hinky and when they're not. Absolutely. Glenn? Yeah, I think, the, the uh, like these other guys, I'm struggling a bit, you know, to um, kind of imagine the possibilities here. So uh, let's sort of imagine two big avenues that this may be going down and address each first of all let's look at uh, stuff that is definitely not okay in in a categorical way so if this youth pastor is violating something in that category as lee's suggesting you can take that to you could say this is the categorical wrong thing that's being done. So it's a very specific thing. It's tough to confront someone with a lot of vague stuff. That's right. it's hard to get a good um, understanding going. So here's the number one thing that I think you may be looking at is manipulation. So that's anything that uses fear or shame or guilt as a way to try and goose people along in their walk, you know. You need to come to this retreat. If you don't come to this retreat, who knows what might happen? Maybe God won't bless you. Maybe you'll fail that test that you're studying for. Maybe your parents won't do what, you know. Ooh. 
yeah, that's fear. I'm just manipulating you with fear. Now, a lot of new youth pastors and a lot of new senior pastors use manipulation because they are afraid that they don't know how to do the job. Yeah. So we have to supersize it. I gotta, I gotta use something to motivate you, stir you up. So they use guilt, they use shame, they use fear as a way of getting that done. We've seen lots and lots of that out there. And I think it's a very clear thing. If you can come back to a youth pastor and say, dude, you're, you're, use, you're manipulating through the use of fear, that's just not cool. Yeah. You know, That's just not something we can compromise on here. That's just not what it is. If he comes back to you or she comes back to you and says, well, I think it's great to manipulate people through fear. If it ends justify the means or whatever, well, then you have something as Lee is suggesting you can take to the senior pastor and say, this is what your youth pastor is saying. Are we all on the same page with that? Cause if so, maybe I'm the one in the wrong place here. Uh, but anything with manipulation, any kind of a manipulation, now that I've said that, you're going to see a lot more manipulation out there than you thought before, but it, it's it's a common theme. The second thing you may be looking at is something that's grace-based versus legalism. Uh, everything that you hear us talk about on this podcast, on our blogs, from the pulpit, it grace is at the center. Grace is the cornerstone of our faith. Everything should point back to, to grace. If I do something that makes you feel terrible, it makes you feel lost and condemned, and you have to do something for God to accept you, that is not grace. I'm preaching a manipulative message. I'm preaching a legalistic message. I have to, I'm, I'm giving you religion and rules that you have to, tubes you have to jump through in order to be on good terms with God. That is not Christianity. So if someone's preaching that, then again, categorically, we could say, this is not a grace-based message. That's right. my problem with it. And uh, that helps us to define those terms. But that's, that's stuff that's legitimately wrong. And there you, there's plenty of that out there. And that may very well be exactly what you're looking at. But let's assume there's a chance that what you're looking at might be okay, but your reaction to it is a little bit off. So one of those things might be the presence of more psychology in this talk than what you're used to. A certain amount of people say, well, you know, there's not a lot of psychology in the Bible. So if you're talking a psychological principle and not talking about purely spiritual things, well, then that's getting outside of the teachings of Christ and outside of what the Bible says and so on and so forth. Um, and that makes perfect sense unless you think about it for longer than about three seconds. And, and then it, it makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but uh, again, if you're not used to hearing someone talk a bit of human psychology as part of our spiritual journey, that can be off-putting and, and shocking sometimes. Anything with that sort of life coach and sort of advice-giving kind of uh, learning how to deal with our problems in a sociological way, in a psychological way, if you're not used to hearing that kind of advice, you're going to get uh, a, a sense that maybe this is coloring outside the lines in some sort of way, and it's not. It's important for us to recognize the spiritual struggle that we're going through is taking these uh, principles and these uh, teachings that God, that God is giving us through his son, Jesus Christ, that are unbelievably uh, difficult to apply to our actual daily, everyday lives. So that's what we're doing on this podcast. That's what should be happening in your youth group and in your church is wrestling with how do we apply this thing? How do we live this thing out? by applying a transcendent understanding of that word and how to make it real in my life. Absolutely. I'll throw a couple of real quick things on the end here. First of all, one of the things we want to look at whenever we're uh, 
judging ministry, wanting to confront someone, not judging, but just evaluating, is uh, there's a phrase in the Bible, you'll know the tree by the fruit. So you talk about you're worried about these younger kids. You want to look at, does this pastor care about them? Yeah. They're working in their lives. They're showing some love there. Here's the thing. There are a lot of people, unfortunately, some of them we know, some of them you've heard of, who are totally theologically sound, who would be terrible pastors because they're huge jerks. Right, yeah. They're stuck up. They're arrogant. They, uh, they're domineering. You wouldn't want that person to be your pastor. Great theology, though. Sure, their theology is right down the mark. And a little bit to that point, you're talking about, you're obviously a young person, I'm assuming you're in high school, talking about you don't feel everything they say has a biblical foundation. And maybe, again, the people who listen to this podcast are way sharper than I was at their age. Maybe you have a totally clear idea of what a biblical foundation is on every issue, but I'm betting you don't, because I don't. So as Lee alluded to earlier, when you go into this conversation, you don't want to be necessarily going and accusing as much as seeking to understand. Yeah. Yep. You only go in with more of an attitude of, you said this thing, and this is what I've always thought. Here's my reading of the Bible. I'm now going to give you a chance to convince me that you are right yes. through biblical foundations. Yeah. Especially with a lot of uh, ministry to youth, just by a function of trying to keep stuff simple, sometimes that falls into an idea, especially if people have certain, not agendas, but just thoughts they've been raised with, they think... You get, some people get the idea that there are a lot of things that the Bible is very clear on that the Bible is not even remotely clear on. Yeah. So there's a couple things over here and a couple things over here, and they get that mixed up with some kind of ultimatum. The Bible is actually rock solid clear on very few things. So Glenn pointed to grace, charity, that kind of stuff. So if we're mixing too many things on uh, biblical clarity, you might get in the wrong place, but... So these guys are saying, go into a conversation, but go in that, seeking to, the first time you go into a conversation like this, you want to be looking for common ground. Especially in a situation like this, where, to be ruthfully honest, um, this person's probably going to be around this church longer than you. They're definitely going to be around the youth group longer than you. So if you have some vo uh, complaints, you want to voice those in a kind of conciliatory way, at least starting off. All right, we appreciate you listening. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com or the bridgechicago.tumblr.com. If you want to get it on Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. We do ministry with money that we get for ministering to you, which is kind of our absolute favorite thing. If you want to sign up for the Lee Younger flavor of that, missionusa.com slash BBLY. Get uh, brand new music for Lee. As bonus gifts, you'll get a download of Lee's EP and the brand new free T-shirt, which yes. you can find um, pictures of that on Lee's website, LeeYounger.com. Now, thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Who will punch your faith? I didn't have anything prepared. <laughs> That's good. That's good.